How long do you hang on to a promise? How long do you hang on to a promise? When do you write it off and say, it's just not coming? And I think it depends on the promise and it depends on the one who made it. If someone who has a record of unfaithfulness makes you a promise, you tend to dismiss it rather quickly, even if you wish it were true. And if the promise has a specified day of fulfillment, you write it off if the day passes. But if God has made the promise, and he doesn't specify when it's going to come true, you hang on to it, even if it doesn't find fulfillment in your lifetime. You pass it on to your children and their children to keep the promise alive. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews indicates Isaac and Jacob and Joseph did. The original promise, you recall, was made to Abraham. God said if Abraham would go to a land that he would show him, he would give him that land to him and to his descendants, and that he would make of them a great nation. The only piece of land Abraham ever owned, however, was a field in a cave at Machpelah that he bought as a burial site for Sarah. And by the time Abraham died at 175, the nation consisted of one son, Isaac, and two grandsons, Jacob and Esau. But the promise didn't die with Abraham. On the day Abraham demonstrated his unwavering faith in God by stretching out his hand to slay his son as a sacrifice in obedience to God's command, an angel stopped him. And Isaac no doubt heard the angel say that in Abraham's seed, and that would be him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise... And the promise that God would multiply his descendants as the stars of heaven and give to them the land of promise was then given directly to Isaac by God himself. And it was done so when Isaac was reminded that the promise was still alive because Abraham obeyed God and kept his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws. But Isaac like his father, never saw the promise fulfilled. But also, like his father before him, Isaac passed it on. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Now, If you know the story, you're probably wondering how faith was expressed by Isaac when the giving of his blessing was fraught with deceit and deception. Jacob and Esau, you may recall, were twins. They were born to Isaac and Rebekah after 20 years of childless marriage. When Rebekah finally conceived, after years of praying for children, she felt a struggle going on within her. And God told her that two nations were in her womb, something she no doubt felt was literally true. 
She was also told that two peoples would be separated from her body, one stronger than the other, and that the older would serve the younger. When the twins arrived, the first one came out all red and hairy and was named Esau, which means hairy. Clever name. They could have named him Steve, but they didn't. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) I cracked myself up. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. (laughs) That's too good, Steve. The second one. The second one came out hanging on to the heel of the first and was named Jacob, which means one who takes by the heel or supplanter. Esau became a man's man, a hunter, an outdoorsman who was loved by his father. And Jacob became a mama's boy who hung around the kitchen. One day when Esau came in hungry, and Jacob was cooking some red lentil stew, Esau asked for some of that red stuff. Jacob said, sure. If Esau would give him his birthright, his rights as the firstborn, and Esau said he was starving to death. So if he didn't eat, the birthright would do him no good, so he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. The supplanter was supplanting. Some years later, when Jacob was old, blind, and thought he was dying, he called for Esau. He asked him to go hunting and fix his favorite wild game dish, after which he would bestow upon him a father's blessing. Rebecca overheard the conversation, devised a plot to steal the blessing for Jacob. She had him put goat skins on his arms and neck and put on Esau's smelly clothes so he'd feel and smell like his brother. She then fixed a savory dish and had Jacob take it to his father and pretend to be Esau. The deception worked. And Jacob received the blessing Isaac had intended for Esau. We read of it in Genesis 27. See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. As soon as Jacob left, Esau came in with the meal his father had requested and asked for his blessing. And the Bible says that Isaac trembled violently when he discovered that he'd been tricked. But he said there was nothing he could do. The blessing had been given. The only blessing he could give Esau was this. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother shall serve. You shall serve. 
but it shall come about when you become restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. A little bit of hope for Esau. But obviously that blessing did not sit well with Esau. He vowed he would kill his brother at his father's death. When Rebekah heard of Esau's plan, she encouraged Jacob to leave the country and then conned Isaac into sending him into Mesopotamia to find a wife from their relatives. Isaac then called Jacob and blessed him knowingly and passed on the promise. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. In spite of being duped, into initially giving the blessing to Jacob, Isaac had enough faith to realize that the promise had to be kept alive, even if through his secondborn. And so he passed it on. And then Jacob passed it on. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob spent 20 years in Mesopotamia and came back with two wives, two concubines, 11 sons, a daughter, and a new name, Israel. Surprisingly, his brother Esau welcomed him back home and he soon settled into life in Canaan. A twelfth son was born to him and his favorite wife, Rachel. But things weren't going too well on the home front. Jacob followed in his father's footsteps by loving one son more than the others, and that led to Joseph's being sold into slavery by his brothers and taken to Egypt. I'm sure you remember the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. Joseph, you'll also recall, rose to prominence in Egypt, becoming second only to Pharaoh himself. A famine in Canaan eventually led to the rest of the children of Israel into Egypt, and it was there that Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. God had promised Jacob that he would make of him a great nation in Egypt and bring them back to the land of promise. So when he was near death, leaning on the head of his bed or staff, the original Hebrew means either, he made Joseph promise not to bury him in Egypt. And he then proceeded to bless Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now Manasseh was the oldest, so Joseph had him on his left, so that when he faced his grandfather, his right hand, would be placed on his head, and Ephraim was on his right, so Israel's left hand would be on his head. <laughs> but Israel crossed his arms. And then he said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, 
And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father's right hand wasn't on the head of Manasseh, he assumed it was because of his bad eyesight and asked him to switch his hands. But Israel refused, saying the younger would be greater than the older, and his descendants would become a multitude of nations. And indeed, after the kingdom of Israel divided into the northern and southern kingdom, the northern ten tribes were often referred to simply as Ephraim. Jacob then proceeded to bless the rest of his sons and to prophesy what the future held for each. The promise had been given to Abraham and passed on to Isaac and to Jacob and was now being passed on to the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. And the promise wouldn't die in Egypt. Joseph kept the promise alive on his deathbed. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Not only did Joseph make sure that his father's body was returned to Canaan and buried in the cave of Machpelah, On his deathbed, he said to his brethren, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, only Pharaoh had more authority in Egypt than did Joseph. He could have been buried in a pyramid, but he wanted to be buried in the land of promise. 350 years later... Moses carried his bones out of Egypt in the Exodus. And after the children of Israel settled in the promised land, Joseph was buried in Shechem on a piece of property his father had purchased some 500 years earlier. They had kept the promise alive. It had been passed from one generation to another until God did what he said he would do. Amazing story of faithfulness, one generation after another, hanging on to the promise and passing the promise on. This is great history, but what does it have to do with us today? Is there a promise that we should be keeping alive? Most certainly. Most certainly. 
In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has promised to return. After preparing for us a place in heaven. I didn't say when he was coming back. In fact, he said he didn't even know that only the Father knew. But he did assure us that he is coming back. That's the promise. That's the promise we have been given. And that is the promise that we need to be passing on to our children and to our grandchildren. It is a promise that gives purpose to life and makes sense of death. Now, there are many things we want to pass on to our children. I've already given Matt guns from three generations, and Paul wants the Harley. But if there is one thing, one thing we must be passing on to our children, it's the promise that Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Yeah. Say yeah. <laughs> say amen. Say whatever you want to say, but believe it. Okay? One promise we must be carrying on to our children and keep that promise alive until it finds fulfillment on that glorious day when the sky parts and every eye beholds Him and every knee bows before Him. We've got to keep that promise alive. We've got to keep it alive. A lot of scary things happen. A lot of things go on in the world that distract us and Make us worry about the future. There's only one thing, one thing that is absolutely certain about the future. And that is that Jesus is coming again. Hang on to that. Make sure your kids embrace that promise. And if he tarries, that they pass it on to the next generation. If we'll embrace that promise, and if they will embrace that promise, and keep their eyes focused on Jesus, trusting through life and through death, together we will one day receive the promise that he made to our ancestors in the faith nearly 2,000 years ago.
The promise has been made, and the one who made it can be trusted. Let's keep the promise.